That's funny. That's kind of funny, RJ. I was trying to figure we'll, it out too, and we'll I'll be just, using that in the future. I just could not get what it is. <laughs> should we do an intro? Do you think? Yeah, one should. One should. What are we up to, by the way? Sixty-two. Welcome to episode sixty-two, everybody. We're happy you're here. We're in the shed. It is a sweltering BC day and Saskatchewan day and Alberta day and New Brunswick day and I don't know how many other province day weekends. And we're in the shed. Relatively cool, definitely comfortable, kind of shady, leafy little respite from the world in here. And we're glad you're here with us. We got a billion things on our mind. We got some listener mail. We got some uh, alternate fuel vehicle conversation again. And I don't know what all else. So stick with us and here we go. Where do you sleep up at the lake? In a tent? Or? In a tent. Yikes. With the coyotes yipping and yipping. Okay, so you got, is it like Sam's cabin and then you're out? Yeah, well, I was going to have the guys, the dogs with me. Uh-huh. And at the last minute, they elected to stay. <laughs> here, in, here in yeah, town. Haley yeah, Haley decided she could look after him here in town. So I didn't bring him, but then I just thought, well, he took the trouble to put the tent up. So I'll sleep in it, right? And so I found out a couple of things. One thing I found out is that my dad's sleeping bag is not even adequate to know, 12 degrees. Like temperature is going from like 30 degrees in the day to 12 degrees at night. So every morning at about 5.30, I would become conscious that I was cold. And then I'd just kind of snuggle around, pull my hoodie on a little tighter and go back to sleep. Like not cold enough to actually do anything about it, just cold enough to be disturbed, you know? And then you sleep in till like whatever, eight o'clock, maybe seven thirty, because then it's light and you just want to get out of bed. Did you go by yourself? Yeah. Yes, I did. Oh. So you tell me you don't have to get up in the middle of the night? No, I'm not telling you that at all. Okay. So you, in addition to waking up cold, <laughs> you also wake up midway at least once. Yeah. There's also the obligatory trip uh, sometime around two thirty, two o'clock, depending. Right. Uh, to go to the bathroom and then get back into bed and fall back to sleep and then wake up again kind of chilly. Now, I've never been trekking at high altitudes, but I'm told that in those circumstances, the guys all have bottles in the tent with them. Really? Yep. And because it's just frigid cold out, so what are you going to do? Are you going to put on like eight layers and totally wake yourself up, get your boots on, go stomping off somewhere in the snow and then go? Uh, No, I'm not. Right. So once you're there, then I wonder if those guys, and so if I had taken that step and already graduated to the trekking regimen of bringing a bottle along, I'd probably start to get tempted just to use it for camping in general. (laughs) Or maybe even at home. What the hell? Well, yeah, because I... Oh, yeah. There used to be bedpans. Ignolti says with mysterious emphasis. There used to oh, be yeah. there used to be bedpans in the 1800s. Yes. And they say that people actually slept a lot better. <laughs> I'm serious. I d- no, so I'm they would roll <laughs> there would be the roll out and arrange and do whatever you do and then right back in and back to sleep before you have a chance to hardly even wake up. So but I I guess mm. I'm just going to be mm. obliged to explain my burst of laughter and it was around the idea that we're suggesting the only explanation for people having slept better in the 1800s was that they were using bedpans. Well, I happened to listen to a podcast that said that that, that was a big factor. And, and not 
the lack of ambient light and the lack of ambient noise and the lack of uh, long days of leisure fueled with caffeine, you know, like they're well, hard yeah. working long days. Well, it's a combo. Like if you were to use a bedpan today, you wouldn't have to go into the brightly lit bathroom. How did we get here? Like, well, I had a little story to tell, and uh, you were on a whole different wavelength there. No, this had to do... You thought it was funny. I do think it's funny that you're entertaining the idea, and McNulty may have already got there, of using uh, a, bedpan. A, a bedpan or a bottle of some sort to spare yourselves the trip to the bathroom in your house at night. Well, you've seen Trailer Park Boys, right? I have not. What do they do? Well, whatever, who, one of the guys is in a trailer, and there's just four liter milk jugs full of urine everywhere outside it's very fun no we just about i don't know six less than six months ago three months four months we bought a susan bought a commode an antique commode because she's on the fourth floor without a bathroom and she uses it okay so what is a commode how does that work it's just a little box with a ceramic uh, made for the commode, yeah, ceramic with a lid on it. Uh huh. So you open the box, take the lid off the ceramic thing, and it's like a toilet seat basically. And you empty it in the morning. Totally makes sense. Well, how quaint! <laughs> I think our listening demographic. I I suspect we're going to hear a groundswell of supporting opinion. I would think so. Uh, I wouldn't, I'm going to be not terribly surprised to have people writing in saying, oh yeah, I know that for years. I mean, well, especially if she has to go down a flight of stairs and yeah. Yeah. So for privacy. Yeah. Yeah. And convenience. I don't know. Well, uh, we'll, I think we'll anticipate a response from our listeners on that one because. But I'm trying to think because I. It's not a thing I ever thought of really yet. I don't think that I, I don't know that I've done that. It seems to me fairly recently, but it, I, I'm trying to think where and why, because I have bathrooms in both of these places. Who knows? Who knows? I didn't even think of it in the context of sleeping in that tent. I just accepted that having to get out of the damn tent, which is quite an operation by itself, was just the deal. Oh, that's where I do it, at the lake. Yeah. So I don't have to make the trek over to the cans, right? Yeah. I mean, you can literally go outside the front well, I door. I just, if you want to. yeah. I just feel yeah. that our daughters and nephews and, and nieces and like I have a picture sons. of two guys in different cabins out just peeing and watching each other. <laughs> How you doing, Ed? Yeah, breaking the rules. <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> oh, geez, I don't know. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. I, I don't Morning, even know. Sam. <laughs> I've never tried doing that in a tent before either. And that I gets s- a little bit complicated because you're kind of on your knees, right? <laughs> well, I'm just <laughs> surrounded by bedding and one false move and you're in some oh deep God. trouble. <laughs> like, real trouble. Not only now do you not have a bathroom, you have no place to sleep. God. Toyota bedding hydrogen? Uh, well, that's just a question for the panel. Basically, hydrogen is an alternate fuel, and Toyota actually has developed and sold a hydrogen-powered vehicle, and there is a hydrogen fueling station in Richmond now, Mm -hmm. only one in the Lower Mainland. Now, there's two kinds of hydrogen vehicles. Is it the hydrogen combustion or hydrogen... Hydrogen electric, I believe, is what it is. Hydrogen-powered electric. So hydrogen combustion to electric, and the other one's the hydrogen fuel cell. That's the one I think it is, is okay. the hydrogen fuel cell. Okay. I think. I'm not 100% sure. I just thought 
they went as far in 2014 as manufacturing and selling a hydrogen-powered car. And hydrogen-powered cars, as far as I could make out from that article at the links there for, don't have some of the disadvantages that even electric cars have in terms of their environmental impact and their emissions footprint or anything. You know, like they just don't have it. They use hydrogen. They don't use a lot of rare earths, I don't think. I it's it's actually how do they get the hydrogen that's the problem or the issue? Yeah, I don't know. That is that is a good question is what kind of energy spend do you have to make to get the hydrogen? Yeah. Right, because there's two basic methods for that. Um, one of them is putting electricity into water. That creates hydrogen and oxygen. And I forget the other one. The other one's, yeah, I forget the other one. But the, both of them, uh, from what I've read, are not as efficient. Yeah, you know, that's probably... Probably well well taken point there. Are they still making them? I don't Toyota? know. Okay. I kind of don't think so, but I don't really know. Because uh, when I was looking around, I didn't see a reference to the 2019 Mirai or whatever that model name was. I read uh, that electric cars, people who buy them get all feeling good about themselves for making the planet cleaner or whatever. And it's a false. There's just as much money goes into making that or just as much energy goes into making that. The battery pack? The vehicle, if you compare to how much you're taking out, and they say the idea is to just get people out of cars. The better idea. Yeah, but you guys must have some arguments against that. I mean... No, I mean, I I think it's important to recognize that all of them, like, we've talked about that a couple times, the... That whole business of rare earths and the whole business of what do you do with those batteries once they must be discarded, those are footprint questions that a lot of people that buy electric cars don't consider at all. They just think, I'm using electric, I'm awesome. And what's rare? Is it's lithium? like all those elements that are out somewhere in the remote ends of the periodic table. They're not radioactive, but they're pretty hard to find and pretty hard to extract and pretty hard to make into useful components in electric uh, motors, right? Okay. That all has an environmental cost, particularly right. since a lot of those minerals are located in countries that don't have environmental issues at the very top of their agenda. They have economic issues right. at the top of their agenda. So, gotcha. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm good with electric in terms of an alternative to gasoline, but just don't go thinking that you have committed zero sin. You, you yeah. may have reduced your sin, but you yeah. haven't committed zero. And we were just talking a little while ago about steam. I've just developed sort of a little mini fascination with steam just because it was huge, right? Like in 1905 or so, steam was king in the automobile industry. With coal as the... Uh, no, they used gasoline and kerosene to, oh. to well, they, heat stuff. They hadn't kind of refined the internal combustion engine yet. Yeah, and the the deal with the internal combustion, and so <laughs> I probably should give credit where due. I've been watching Jay Leno's Garage, because Jay <laughs> Leno has a bunch of steam and electric from the turn of the century, and he they're, they're pretty fun. He takes a shot at explaining how they work what their drawbacks were. He even mentions why they were or were not popular at given times. And like the turning point for gasoline was the electric starter. Because prior to the electric starter, you did a hand crank start. And I've done that before. Uh, yeah. And you want to watch your step doing that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's scary. <laughs> lose like an elbow. When that thing catches, you could break a thumb or an arm pretty easy right. if you're not on the job. So that was a big drawback, for, especially for females. 
There was an electric car sold turn of the century. Baker, Thomas Edison, invented a battery for it specially. And it was marketed directly to women because you could just get in and go. You didn't have to start up the fire and get the steam up and do anything. You didn't have to turn the crank. And it was, there's like 15,000 of them on the streets of New York at the turn of the la- turn of 1900. How big was the battery? Oh, it was huge. It was like big whack of <laughs> six-volt batteries all linked in a series, you know. Lead like, acid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he invented it specially for that car. The point was, though, it was well known. And it, it like I say, 15,000 of these things. Well, and uh, steam was really huge. And the last production steam car, I think, if I've got this right, was the Doble in 1925, and this guy, Abner Doble, had worked out most of the kinks in terms of all the gross inconveniences. Because up until he came along, you actually had to take a match and start up a pilot light that was burning gasoline in order to start the flames to, you know, I mean, the whole thing is just like, whoa, dude, uh, there, I think there's a, you know, like, not cool. But this guy ironed nearly all of it out. He only made like 25 or 30 cars because he was a tinkerer. But they're great. Just go like 65 miles an hour, go all day long. Basically, yes, you had to open a lot of valves and pump a lot of pumps and do a lot of stuff. But what you didn't have to do is get down on your hands and knees beside the car and stick a live flame into gasoline. You didn't have to do that. And this thing, it was was pretty cool. Like it just, you know how electric cars today, one of the favorite things we like to talk about is the limitless torque they have from zero to infinity well steam's exactly the same those steam cars didn't even have transmissions they're just direct drive you want to stop you just turn off the steam you want to go you just turn it on their torque was so huge that you could start in high gear from zero and just go like a thousand pounds of torque just crazy this is very fun i mean but again when you step back a little bit you think oh yeah except for how are they heating all that water well in those cars, they were heating it with fossil fuels. So, oh well. What the ratio of power to fuel was, yeah. I don't know, but I expect it's probably the same as just burning the fuel directly. Yeah, we pretty close. Soon I got to accompany our neighbors on one of those old car outings. And they had a 1925 Cadillac. They still do. And so we went out on that, and they had a Stanley steamer. One of the oh, one yeah. of the cars that the thing was a Stanley steamer, and that thing was pretty cool like all eyes were on it and the driver yeah like you say he had to be fully aware of what is the appropriate temperatures and pressures yeah and yeah like i remember it took a little while before it would start and then once it went it went it was pretty cool and by the time this doble came along in 25 they'd managed all that too they'd automated the whole business of okay pressure's up turn off the heat Okay, pressure's down, turn on the heat. Oh, steam's too much, and we've turned it off already. Vent some steam. It was all mechanically. There's no electric anything except for the pump to pump water and fuel pressure up to start the thing. Do you remember what kind of fuel they were using? Yeah, gasoline. He was using yeah, gasoline yeah. in that thing. Okay. And, but he doesn't mention, to my recollection, anything about how much gasoline was required right. to take a trip of 70 miles in a two-and-a-half-ton car. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's probably less than a gasoline engine would take, but it was, it was more than nothing, right? You're thinking that it gets better gas mileage? Yeah, probably, because I think it, it just comes to what's the most efficient way to spend that energy. 
So if you take gas and you imagine that you are harvesting nearly all the heat from that gas, you're consuming all of it. And the whole thing had a recirculation system to save as much heat. The whole right, point with right. steam cars is to not lose heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, in those Stanleys, in another one, Jay Leno takes it out for a spin and he says, yeah, it goes really fast for a while, but then it loses steam. The, its ability oh, yeah, to yeah. produce steam can't quite keep up with its ability to to consume to it. cruise yeah and so this doble did that you could just go 65 70 miles an hour all day until you ran out of water right yeah it it's just again if it's going to take gas to run it i guess my thought is all bets are off kerosene whatever you know it's all kind of the same a lot of fun though it's fun to watch those cars go and you sort of think i mean some of those cars those stanleys and white steamer was another big one those things went up over 100 miles an hour in like 1910 and stuff. You sort of think, where is there a road in 1910 that you want to go 120 miles an hour on? Like, holy Dinah. Nerves o' steel. Yeah. I don't know how that all happened. I think that was from the electric car. But uh, So I understand we have some listener mail today. We do. We do have some listener mail. Uh, can I start? Because... Sure. In a recent episode, I was taken to task for not having foot-long spoons and mm. foot-long narrow spatulas, mm. and I retorted with some heat, as I recall. I believe you drew the short spoon. <laughs> I think that was episode 59, wasn't it? Nice. It was. Um, and I did like that thing, PJ draws the short spoon. Anyways, my, my position was these are kind of, like, what kind of exotic kitchens are you guys running here? So I recently had occasion to visit with my sister and my sister's daughter-in-law, Erica of Palo Alto, uh, upon discovering that my sister and I were talking, sent a text to her and said, tell him I listened to episode 59 recently and he should know that long-handled spoons and spatulas are not exotic kitchen equipment. (laughs) These are normal kitchen utensils. (laughs) And she went on to say, sometimes I shake my head at the things he says and I thought... What about them? What about those two? What are they? But it's always amusing. So Erica and Palo Alto and hi, Nathan, too. Uh, hopefully it is amusing. And uh, I think you should, should you know, throw some darts at the other guys. I'm sure they make mistakes, for God's sakes. Anyway, it made me laugh. I thought that was very funny. You weren't just down there, were you? No, I was not. I was at Kootenai Lake. And she was there? No, or? my sister was. Oh, you, oh okay. Uh, we had other listener mail too, I believe. Lee of Courtney said, what? You're wondering if we should visit the United States if we listen to your podcast? And the answer she gave was no. No, we should not. We should never go to the United States. We should not spend one more dime in a country that's capable of electing a leader like that and representatives like those. <laughs> and so I responded and said that you can see this all on our website, by the way, these, these, that one was on the website. And my response was basically, well, the focus of our remarks there assumed that we had listeners that still wanted to go to the United States. And the question was whether listening to us was going to compromise their ability to do that. But thanks though. (laughs) And she also sent along something that uh, in part said... Nice reference to Mystery Science Theater, MSTK3, and I thought 3K. 3,000. Do you guys even know? I have just no, do you know what the reference was? Did one of you make the reference? No, I don't. I think that was a 
like what do you call it? A happy oh, co- just a coincidence. coincidence. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I've seen the show a few times. It's kind of kind of fun show, Mystery Science Theater three thousand. I think it is. Yeah. I think the it. general premise is that they watch old movies, old science fiction movies, and and they sit there and comment as you go. So you get to watch the movie again. Plus, you're hearing all their comments as they go. Oh. I think that's the idea, and they're funny people. Oh well, oh. I just you know I don't even know. Uh, the other thing that Lee of Courtney um, mentioned, she must have been feeling, I don't know what, there was a certain tone to both these messages. Because another one was, wait, what? You ask, who would be the first to buy a condo in the grounds of the old Riverview? Because I think I had suggested. Right. And again. I think you came somehow off I, <laughs> a little bit. I end up being the outlier here. Yeah, I think you were, yeah. <laughs> I know you're normal in your own mind, but in these particular <laughs> issues, I think you're an outlier. And she said, well, ask the hundreds of people who bought condos on the grounds of the old BC Penitentiary in New Westminster. People who live anywhere. And in Metro, they will pay quite a lot to do so. And that's that actually holds for the Ocala grounds as well. That is the one she's talking about. I well, think. that was, yeah, okay. But this, the Ocala is in Burnaby above Deer Lake. Oh, sorry. You're correct. Yeah. So I think there was also a penitentiary. In, there was. Yeah, I don't know it, what it was called. The BC Pen. In New West. The BC pen, that's all it was? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, what? they don't give it a nice, pleasant name when it's a pen. It's got to be, yeah, just BC pen. Whereas Ocala was actually had yeah. farmlands and the prisoners could go work on the farms. Yeah. And see, now uh, that you mention it, I know where it was and what it even looked like when I first moved down here. But I mix the two completely up. Yeah, and there's a lot of nice kind of uh, condos all over the Ocala grounds, and you can bet that not one of them thinks a thing about what sorts of grisly things happened Under yeah. about Feet. 40 years earlier. Well, and I had responded to her. I mixed it all up. Ocala is a good response to my Riverview reservations, which is true, but it isn't the response she made. I said, I guess the things that creep us out are highly subjective. I'll also admit that if someone wanted to give me one of those shiny new Riverview condos, I'd just get right over my little reservations immediately. <laughs> I would just... I'm in. Well, early in our relationship, Sue and I lived in a a little uh, apartment called uh, Oakmont Place. We finally got our first house right after that. So we moved out of Oakmont Place. And on the day we moved out, we learned that the apartment directly across from us, someone had been murdered just that day or the day before. Ooh. And it's just, Yeah. Holy. And it it wasn't a bad apartment. It wasn't one of those kind of apartments where you're thinking, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. No, it was just kind of a nice little kind of middle young person income place. Nothing wrong with it. Nice gardens and grounds. But it's kind of creepy when something like that, there was obviously somebody right in proximity to you acting with ill intent while you were still living there. Hmm. The MS... T3Kism that Lee referred to is in the little SO traveling music segment. <laughs> I just have no idea what that reference might have been. I don't know. In either episode 60 or 61, you will probably by now have heard our new Tales from the Shuttle theme music. And well, we got that from. So Sue and I went and saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fantastic movie. 10 stars, whatever, on whatever scale. 
lovely movie to go watch. But anyway, one of the things they had a lot of kind of love song to 1969 stuff happening all throughout the movie. And in one of the scenes, Mannix is running on the TV in the background. Oh, and then I'm going, wait a minute. That's skins. Happy motoring song. (laughs) It is the theme for Mannix, which is nutty. Like Mannix is this hard bitten detective thing. And why does it have this peppy sixties music in it? You know, like, well, it was, I was surprised that I even remembered that music, but I, I certainly did. Yeah. Late sixties. And, uh, so I went ahead and watched the first episode on YouTube that came up and it was a very cool episode. I actually enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. You sent it, but I haven't watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got, so it's from season two where they introduce a black secretary and she was the second ever black woman in a major role on TV. After Uhura? After Uhuru. Uhura? Uhuru. Anyway. I think it's Uhuru. I can't yeah, yeah, remember. Yeah. I don't know what her real name is either on Star Trek. Anyways. Yeah. Nichelle Nichols. Oh, nice. Right. Oh. And I Oof. think it's, her name's Peggy and she's played by Gail Fleming. Does that sound right? I don't Gail know. Fleming. No, Gail Fleming. Is a skater. Coincidence. Anyway, uh, yeah, so she... uh that on camera. <laughs> and I thought it was kind of interesting because it's 69 and there's some racial stuff discussed, which is like you don't see that in 60s shows, right? Mm-hmm. Like she, there's a, another a black guy who's trying to establish a relationship with her and the kind of thing that things that they say, she'll say, well... I'm his secretary and he'll say, yeah, we don't, we don't see a lot of our people being anything but the secretary. Yeah. That was fascinating to listen to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, 69, eh? 68, they had the riots. So by 69, everybody's racial consciousness was. Right. And Star Trek had already done a little bit of. Yeah. uh, They, they cloaked it as aliens and non-aliens and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah cool i better watch that because uh it's I just, just didn't get around to it <laughs> it's fun because you got the silliness of the yeah and all the all the cars to look at and stuff like that it just kind of makes it the fun. clothes yeah the clothes the crazy yeah. clothes they're wearing yeah and the colors of the clothes fantastic color schemes yeah yeah everybody thinks this is normal i i didn't there were guys in our hometown at our age who did dress with pretty uh crazy colors but we were a few years too young for the the late sixties, that magical moment when like we were an echo of that time, like our little, our little flares were echoes of the bell bottoms, you know? Yeah, that's probably true. Thank heaven. We uh, escaped (laughs) our youth with a few shreds of dignity anyways. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of As opposed to all those people (laughs) on all those shows. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of dignity. Yeah. (laughs) What do we got? KJ. Mm. KJ. I hear you are an international traveler. And that you have just returned from an exotic foreign. How was that? Uh, mostly good. Mostly good. But no, all good. Long way to go to have a few pints, though, I must say. So that was uh, to remind everybody, we talked about you were going to go there. This yeah. is England. So I went uh, to Dylan's graduation, which happened on the hottest day in history in London. Nice. Uh, 38 point something. But it was wind directly from the Sahara Desert. And apparently they even get uh, sand falling in London from nice. the Sahara Desert. I, I don't remember it this day, but uh, the, the boys, Dylan and his buddy, thought they were going to die. It was so hot. 
but I didn't find it hot at all, actually, because it was really dry, right? It was really, if you're in shade, the wind was howling. If you're in the shade, it felt pretty normal. Dylan said he had four showers that day, I think. he was. Did you have, uh, most of the rooms over there don't have air con. No, 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 no. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> Didn't even have a little tiny bar fridge. Half it. of them, the windows don't even open it. Eh? Yeah. They've just been painted shut for decades. No, it was, it was really comfortable. And the next day, uh, it was the high was 13 degrees lower than the record day. So it oh. just zoomed right back down to Was normal. the record day up close to 40? 38.5 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, all good. All good, fun, fun, fun. I saw the Rothkos. Free. At the, at the Tate? Free at the Tate. Whoop-de-doo, I say. <laughs> Why? I think to appreciate them, you actually have to sit in the room for maybe longer than an hour. Maybe just sit in front of one of them. But I didn't have the time for that. and it, was, it wasn't crazy busy in there, but you could tell that there were some people that were just sitting there, just looking and soaking one particular painting in. Well, but You're on to something about museums, though, in general. I think like the Met or whatever, all these big museums, I, I honestly think it's like if you travel to Europe, you should just go to one small region and soak it in. And I think mm. on a micro level, the exact same thing can be said about museums. It'd be better just to sit in front of a painting for an hour than to try and walk through and cover a lot. Well, these these paintings are specific, right? They actually vibrate if you watch them long enough that that's their that was Rothko's intent really yeah and that's why he didn't the reason that they didn't go up on, on the Seagram they were commissioned for the Seagram building in New York or Chicago whatever but he they play they, they were going to be up on you know up on the top way up high people couldn't get that close to him and they he just thought that they won't work in that space he didn't want to present them so he pulled them which is a big deal at the time, apparently. But there was um, Degas. Uh, there's a couple of Picassos. But you know, you see, they're kind of. It's kind of like that too. Oh, I know that painting. I recognize uh, some Monets. You go. I recognize that. Oh, that's what it is. That's how big it is. Usually, the size sort of. But then, other than that, well, well, what, right? Yeah. What, you know, and something. There are some weird ones that just sort of sparks your interest, and you go, "Oh, that's very clever." Yeah. These Is that ones, a Rothko? These ones were all the dark red ones. Maybe just do a screenshot of that then, so we can point it out for our listeners. And then on the same day, we walked to Dirty Dicks from the Tate. I saw I saw Dylan posted on Facebook that he was at Dirty Dicks. I, yeah. I, oh, I bet your dad's there too. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, I just saw some teenager threw a six-year-old off the Tate this morning, I believe. <laughs> just, I'll just throw that out there for some good news. So we walked to uh, Dirty Dicks, and it is incredible, all the new towers, because I never approached it from that direction, and I was always on a moped, but the towers are just amazing and everywhere. So I see Dirty Dicks, and you sent the picture when you were there, and I said, they've put a whole building beside it. It's, something's actually gone up to the left if you're standing at the front door. And when I got there, I realized that, no, 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 that's, that building was always there. And I used to go down that side. The Catherine Wheel Alley? 
if that's what it's called. That's how I would get into the building. And on Sundays, people would line up there just to get into the basement bar. Uh, it was all quite confusing to me. But it was, it was kind of sad to see what they'd done to it. Although it's the same old, you know, kind of wood and bricks. And they even have some dead cats behind glass someplace. Right, as part of the, the old theme yeah, about the owner. Yeah. And I went upstairs and I... Was oh I know it must have been downstairs and I said oh I worked here in seventy five not a flinch of interest oh really <laughs> the tiniest bit <laughs> but it was uh, what do you want a cheap drink buddy yeah 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 that's really all I did on my trip that's all I saw the rest was well we went out the the first night after graduation we went out like Lars was um, from Norway and Dylan's best buddy. So they met up, they actually stayed, they shared a room in the hotel where we were, and so they were together all the time. So we met his parents, and of course it's his dad and his new wife-girlfriend and his mom and her new boyfriend, and one of them had just met the other two for the first time at this dinner afterwards. Anyway, had a great time, and then the next night the boys were going to a party with their old classmates and said, do you want to, Lars said, do you want to hook up with my dad again? And I thought, ooh, <laughs> is that really something that I'd want to do? You know, like I barely know them. I mean, we had fun the night before. But I went out and, oh my goodness, did we have fun? Did we have fun? <laughs> Holy. So I, yeah, we, uh, my most fun is just meeting interesting people. The last night we were there, me and Dylan were outside at this bar, fairly close to where we were. And at nine o'clock, you can't drink outside. So they kick us indoors. So we come in. And the night before, I was in that pub, sitting by myself, thinking, what would, the, what would my world be like without Wi-Fi? Because I didn't, I didn't buy anything while I was there. Uh, so I could message Dylan when I had Wi-Fi in the hotel or at a Starbucks. But other than that, I was kind of incom incommunicado, right? And that's why I emailed you guys something i think or anyway but i was sitting there so me and dylan go in the bar and in exactly the same place that i was sitting the night before there's this guy and he looks like he's from wallace and gromit he's this droopy kind of face balding guy maybe maybe 50 i don't know and i'm into it by this time of course because we've been there for a little while we've already had a few adventures outside and i said dylan, i'm gonna invite that guy over to have a drink with us because he looks like he's a sad sack and nobody loves him or something. So I go, I go over and I say, uh, hey, uh, can I buy you a drink? You look like you're in need of somebody to buy you a drink. And he kind of looked at me a little bit shocked. And he said, sure. I said, what are you drinking? He says, Amstel. And Dill was drinking Amstel with lime. And I was drinking Guinness. So I had to wait for my Guinness, right? You have to wait to half pour or whatever. So I get the Amstel and I... I bring it over to him and I say, take this and go sit with that guy over there and I'll, I'll join you guys in a, as soon as I get my Guinness. So he does, he goes over and by the time I get there, he knows all about Dylan, what Dylan's doing there and I'm thinking, oh, these guys are sort of getting on. So we're about five minutes in and he says, uh, you guys, I'm going to be really honest with you right now. Here we go. <laughs> He said, I, I just got out of the slammer on last night or something. Huh. Oh, and uh, he said, 
he didn't have a, pl- I don't know if he had a place that night, but tomorrow we had to move out and council uh, is mandated to find him a place, whatever it is, in a yeah. hostel or whatever, and they'll take care of that. But he was just a little bit lost, and he was in for four months for something domestic. Oh. I'm... Uh, we didn't ever get into it. Good plan. He had tats uh, of uh, and also a sweater of a football club, whoever he was rooting for. Um, anyway, it was just, it was fun. And it was, I thought, I thought it was a cool moment for me to do that in front of Dill, too, to just go, I'm just going to randomly. <laughs> and of course, I told that to Susan. She said, what are you doing? <laughs> Inviting a convict to your table. Oh, I didn't know he was a convict. Anyway, there was a lot of that kind of stuff that uh, I had fun with. Oh, that And is... I enjoyed the movies on the plane, and I made it. Wore the patch for smoking. Worked just fine. So no anxiety flying? You distracted None. yourself with the None. movies? None. Good, Perfect. Good. No snakes? No, no snakes on the plane. But London sure is a busy little joint, isn't it? Like uh-huh. the sidewalks are incredible, unbelievable. Like you got to watch behind you too for people going fat. Like it's oh man. So and, the the new buildings you saw hmm. was it was like one of them that great big egg shaped one. Yep, that's then, cl- that's close to Dirty Dicks actually. Fairly close down yeah, there. And then the and then another one looks like it's from the Jetsons. It's like like a big kind of bulging, almost like a TV. Set. Yeah. And that one, apparently, they had to change the glass on it because it was melting cars or something. The sun would oh, hit the glass. <laughs> that would have been worse even in the heat wave. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, Dylan had that so story. So it had some accidentally convex surface that was ending up focused on yeah. cars down below. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. Them. And then they got the shard across the river. A great big, ridiculously tall, sharp-looking tower. Oh, yes, yes. It's a tourist thing, too. People ride up yeah. and down it. Yeah. We're trying to figure out, did you go to the Tate? We did not, no. Oh, we're trying to figure out what the building was, and I, because of a great big smokestack, and uh, Dylan thought it's where they burned the prisoners or, or burned the slaves or whatever, right? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was a great big <laughs> so just boundary to, of some just sort. Just to check, Dill isn't a master of history. We're <laughs> clear on that. I'm not too sure any slaves or well, prisoners got burned. Well, the question is, were they burned alive or after they died, right? <laughs> pretty sure. No matter how you slice it, I'm going to say that smokestack and human bodies in flames, no connection. We did go down to the um, Regent's Canal, and Dylan actually walked by this girl, and they both went, hey, how you doing? And they kept walking. I said, I... I I assumed it was one of Dylan's classmates, uh-huh. but it was somebody he knew from Vancouver that he dated, <laughs> awkwardly dated some time ago. And <laughs> and so they did. They both knew that they weren't going to stop, but they acknowledged that they recognized each oh, other. Wow. <laughs> That's from the small, small just, world files. Just yeah. awesome. When you just, when you think you're safe, yeah. where do I have to go to be a tourist and not be haunted by my prior indiscretions? But they have those um, live on um, houseboats on the those canals, right? That's and apparently, you can park for seven days free, but after that, it's twenty five pounds a day. So these guys just constantly move; they just move to another area. But very close to us, there's a real estate place, and one of those things that had 
permanent moorage wherever it was went for ninety nine thousand pounds. You could buy the whole thing, and I thought that wow. seems pretty cheap. That's one hundred and sixty grand or something, and then plus your twenty five pounds a day. Oh, no, no, it came I, with I, 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 it, it came with the where you were. I mean, obviously, you probably paid a yearly fee or something, but but you were locked into it, right? It was like you didn't have to move every week. But so I just I don't know what kind of and it's and this is right in London. Yeah, I don't know what what they'd be like in the winter, but. They're probably pretty good in a heat wave. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was interesting. All interesting. That is. Nice. And you guys, traveling Shedburys, you're both out there somewhere doing something. Uh, I went to Kootenai Lake to see my brother and my sister for four days. Slept in the tent. Uh, tent was not as comfortable as I might have hoped. Were you on an air mattress, foamy cot? Yeah, air mattress, the whole thing. I just I Self-inflating? No, sir. Every night, in fact, it was one of those slow leak ones. It was didn't leave you high and dry, but you wanted to top it up every night before sleep. I got to say the self-inflating ones are the best. <laughs> Not just because of what you just said. I mean, that is a nice thing. I actually had a leak in my old self-inflating one, and it was still good at the end of the day. <laughs> like the end of the night is just a little low. But, but are you no, talking no. the... Yeah, Two-inch ones? Yeah, well, you can get three-inch as well. Oh, oh. And they're pretty darn comfortable. Yeah, I do have one very, of those. Very, very nice. And I brought it with me, but yeah. I didn't use it because my brother had trouble to put in this queen-sized inflatable <laughs> mattress. <laughs> and so I thought, okay. We got right. one of those too, yeah. Use that. There's nothing terribly... The only remarkable thing about this trip was my brother has for years resisted the siren call of technology... And has not had a cell phone, does not have the internet. Sam from Belfer. Sam from Belfer. Sam, Sam, Sam. Not a listener yet, but who knows, man. So he got a cell phone, and on this trip, I sent him, and he received, and responded to a text, text, text. Well done, Sam. No, he responded by phoning me. <laughs> yeah, but Darn it. still. That's... But still, yeah. So <clears throat> my sister and I, we, we had one of those group text things, you know. And uh, we teased him a little. Oh, didn't you get the text? I, I, we, she said she was on her way, you know, just. And then when I got back here, he called me because I had forgotten something, as I nearly always do. And he said, yeah, I'm thinking about getting that, uh, that Shaw, Shaw, oh, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. I said, really? <laughs> so, yeah. And I said, oh, well, you know, I mean, it's about 50 bucks a month probably, and he said, yeah, that was the figure I was given. And I thought, wow. And I said, well, the very next thing will be seeing all that fabulous internet context on that tiny little screen in your phone. But it so happens that you're now having a conversation with somebody who owns an old iPad who they'd be happy, happy, which they'd be happy to give you. So the day looms near, gentlemen, when my oldest brother will be able to use the internet and join the early part of this millennia. That'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. He's even got email. Somebody set up email for him. I won't broadcast it here, but that's also pretty exciting. The fact that you can send him email. Oh, the boy, Sam. Yeah, way to go. So to my sister, also big shout out for helping with that. But that was my trip. Long drive. Set my personal record eight and a half hours. Both ways, actually, pretty much. Google Maps, RJ, top this 
When I was leaving on Friday morning, Google Maps said it would be eight and a half hours, and it was eight and a half hours almost to the minute. It was unbelievable how close that was. Now, do you stop at all for other than bathroom breaks? Uh, in that trip, I didn't know. I yeah. stopped to get gas two or three times. I only needed to twice, but I did it three. Yeah. Uh, so no. And, and yes, clearly it would have been, if you were a normal person and not trying to make some land speed record, it wouldn't have been right at all. But you're not a fast driver, really. No, it's just that nonstop aspect. Yeah, is, right, right. A lot of people don't do that. But I think... I like to think, I don't know for sure, that Google Maps includes the minimal stops. Like you have to stop for gas, you have to stop to go to the bathroom. They kind of add a little slop in, but they would not add any time for lunches or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you would think. And in probably if I was doing that trip every week and I started making stops for lunches and stuff, it would just figure that into my projected time. And it really, it's kind of a fluke. I just thought I'd tease you about could ways do that. But well, we had... Uh, probably could. We had uh, studied our trip with Google Maps, so we were going in and did go, in fact, in kind of the Lillooet area, and we wanted to go to a little place called uh, Bradian, which is a ghost town, and the real town is called Braylorn, but you get to Braylorn, and it's really pretty well a ghost town as well. And but there's a little town near that called Goldbridge, and going oh, and now that's a place right. You get there, there's only forty people live there. Oh, okay. I didn't re- quite realize these places were as remote as because on the map you see Goldbridge. Oh, I've heard of Goldbridge. So well, have I and I thought I mean, Goldbridge was a going concern. Yeah, well, there's not. another. There's Gold something else, and I think we get them mixed up. But this one anyway. Wow. So we had plotted using Google Maps because on the web that's kind of what you use. Uh, the trip we planned it all. We, oh, you know what? Let's stay at Seton Portage. That's perfect. Cause we'll go there. We'll stay two nights. And then one of those days we'll go up and see Braylorn and Brady. And that's kind of what we wanted to do. And so just the day before we went, I'm starting to think, I wonder if, cause it's not the Duffy Lake road anymore. It's parallel to it. And it's over one lake. I wonder if this is dirt road. And sure enough, not only is it dirt road, but the maps say skyline in parentheses four by four. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we, we don't own a four-wheel drive. So I call the hotel in Seton Portage and explain our predicament. And she says, hey, we're not going to charge you because we were already past the yeah. 20. So we stopped, didn't stay there. And we, we set up two nights in Lillooet because we know Lillooet actually has several motels and even hotels or whatever. So we did end up getting to Seton Portage and I was calling it Seton Portage the whole time, but the locals call it Seton Portage, right? But anyway, we get there and we actually came on a different route to get there, which was a pretty wiggy little dirt road. But we had already met in Braylorn, somebody who came in on a four wheel drive over the skyline and said, oh yeah, you wouldn't want to take your sedan over that, but take this other back way in and it's fine. And so that's what we ended up doing. Had a wonderful little trip. We were in Goldbridge area. There is a beautiful lake called Carpenter Lake. It's one of those 45 kilometer long lakes that are formed by dams. Mm. And it used to be called the Bridge River. And there used to be a little um, little mining town called Minto that com- got completely flooded. Um, a whole bunch of native areas, like classic fishing grounds, completely wiped out. Salmon all killed. Um 
but the engineering is amazing because you got this <laughs> higher lake in one valley and you got the lower lake in the next Jeez. valley. You got a mountain between them. Well, what do you do? You just run some tunnels through the mountain and some penstocks, which are pipes, through the mountain as well. And they empty out into Seton Lake, the lower lake, through some generators. And it's just kind of like a marvel of engineering. Huh? So all that was really fun and the crazy routes and just talking to people who live in little towns. We went into the Liltum Motel, which was at Seton Portage, which was where we were going to stay. And I said, uh, what's your name? She goes, Rose. I go, oh, Rose, I might've talked to you on the phone. No, you probably talked to so-and-so. We talked to Rose for like about an hour at the front desk and she showed us, she told us a whole bunch of cool stuff. And the number one cool item for Seton Portage is, well, two cool items. Number one, the first ever railroad in BC was there and it connected the two lakes. What used to be a portage trip was now a rail trip, four kilometer long trip over wooden rails. That's the, the part about that is the wooden rails. You got to think, eh? So, I mean, railways are made with very, very mild grades because steel on steel doesn't get much traction. Steel wheels and steel rails. If you make the grade steep, the thing can't pull anything. It just skids. Just imagine the thinking that must have gone into making the rails out of wood. Imagine how skippy that is, how slippy. You couldn't pull anything on any kind of grade, you would think. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's very cool, actually. So, and only four kilometers, too. So I think there's like roughly two main routes out of Vancouver on the rails, at least for passenger trains. One of them's up through Kamloops parallel to the Coquihalla. Yeah. And then up through Kamloops. The other one goes up through Pemberton and that's the one that actually goes right through Seton Portage and it winds along Seton Lake, which is like this, like, you know, these steep cliffs come down into the lake and they have this little railway at the bottom of the cliffs. So through some ancient agreement with CN rail, they have to run a shuttle from Lillooet into Seton Portage, that's $5 each way. And and it's a one-hour trip on the most spectacular scenery, like just a beautiful lake and beautiful mountains. And that agreement is still in place? It is, because like CN's starting to kind of renege a little bit and that, oh, well, we only have one guy who can run it and he's sick or he's on vacation. So the next thing you know, it's not every day anymore. Uh, and it's for the locals. So you can call and make a reservation, but a lot of the people on TripAdvisor says, yeah, I had a reservation. I didn't make it on. <laughs> so because uh, the locals need to go shopping and stuff. And in the winter, it's the only way out of town. Right. So anyway, all this stuff added up to quite a, quite a fun trip. I did an epic uh, Facebook post. I made it public. So I'll, I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes. The Facebook post was awesome. There's a whole whack of pictures in there. There's a whole bunch of information about places they saw and, and little stories about historical notes of interest. Yeah, the thing that, that threw me about that Facebook post was a number of things that are named bridge. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of bridges, the actual things that go across chasms and rivers and stuff. There's a whole bunch of those. There's a, there's a bridge river. I think there's a bridge lake. There might be a bridge town, gold bridge, bridgehead. I don't know. I, it's great post. Kind of confusing. You might want to develop a little uh, flow chart for understanding the post. Or a map. <laughs> yeah, a map. 
That's good, though. I like those pictures. They were great. Take me back to the wooden rails again. How long did they last? Don't know. We, you know, <laughs> when we were looking at going to Seton Portage, we saw a park there called Seton Portage Historical Provincial Park. And it's a tiny park. And on the TripAdvisor posts, a person said, I hope nobody goes here because this place is the most amazing place and I don't want crowds of people coming here. Well, soon I get to the park, first of all, we drive right past it because there's no big marking there. <laughs> you just like, you don't know. We drove past it. We ended up seeing a black bear, which is cool. And so we came back and we talked to them at the Lilton Motor Hotel there and they said, oh yeah, the park, you want to go to the park? Okay, well, the park is, it's right past the fire hall. You'll just see a little plaque, and sure enough, there's a tiny little plaque you can barely see, and so we go in the park, and there's just, all the park is is some rails. Yeah, it looked like about 50 feet of rails with about 20 (laughs) feet of just wild grass and bushes growing next to it. It was just nothing at all. And some old spikes that were just on the ground, (laughs) and there was actually a caboose there that was closed, and presumably inside the caboose would be a little bit of interesting It was Wonderland in there for sure. But we thought it was quite funny, and I thought, okay, whoever was on TripAdvisor was just having fun. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I hope people don't discover this one. It's an incredible park. (laughs) Well, that picture was just, I couldn't figure out whether you were just yanking us in the picture. There's just nothing there. It's just all that couple, scrubby stuff that grows. Yeah, it's just like, what the hell? Hey, did you go swimming to Belfer? Sure did. How was it? Same as it always is. It was pretty good. And uh, yeah, I did. I, you know, my sister even went. Way to go her. She's older than me. Yeah. Um, it by, was it by, was refreshing, and there's some parts that are super cold. No, like honestly, you know, anytime, even when you go swimming in Christina Lake, which is way warmer than than Kootenai, it's always a little bit of a thing. You take a little breath when you go in there. You know, it's kind of chilly, and Kootenai, it's just a bigger breath. <laughs> but you still go in, and and I didn't come out all shaking cold. Like when it's really cold, you come out shaking with cold, right? Right. When you it's never not su- when it's when it's not super cold, you just come out, right? And then once you're in, it's comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like that. There's some cold spots though, because there's a current there, and holy Dinah, that some of that water that's flowing through from the main lake into the West Arm and eventually the Kootenai River is very cold water. It's coming up from depth, I guess, and real cold. But I went in, and that actually reminds me, and thank you for that. I have a little poll question, boys. I want to start here in the shed. And the question is, the best way to enter lake water? Mm-hmm. There's really just two methods, right? Mm-hmm. Slowly or not slowly. Yeah. And I, I'm, a, I'm a slowly guy, and I recognize that that's the worst possible way. I get that. Yeah. But I'm just too chicken. I just can't stand to have that rush of coldness. Well, plus two here in our advancing years, I'm sure our doctors might have some reservations about advising us to not do it slowly. Mm, Sudden constriction of the arteries. Yeah. Like I think at Kootenai Lake pretty soon, another five years. (laughs) They're already caked in plaque, right? (laughs) right. There's only a little tiny hole through there and it's like, it just closes right That's right. Your blood's making a whistling noise as it passes through that tiny little thing. Yeah. I think a couple of years there'll be signs on public beaches at Kootenai Lake saying you got to have a doctor's certificate to go in this water. <laughs> KJ, you fast or slow? Oh, I'm always torn because I go out there thinking, don't, don't walk in. It's just too painful. 
like even if you get past up to your waist, then you usually what I do is if I walk in up to my waist, then you still got to do that kind of mm-hmm. dive in. That's just as bad. But I'll go out to the end of the dock and I'll just stand there and stand there and think, okay, just do it. Just go ahead. Just stand there. That's sad. What's sadder than an old guy just standing there staring down into the water? But usually if I do it once, then the next day I'm fine. Yeah. Oh, Lesson right, learned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh, it's, oh, it's, it hurts, man. Like just, just the idea of it hurts. <laughs> well, Cuba, when we went to Cuba for Rob, Robert of Saskatoon's wedding, that was one of few places where when you got into that water, it was really clear you could just go in. Just yeah. go. It yeah. was nice and were way warmer than Christina Lake even. It like was room just temperature. Oh almost. my God. You just it was what is it now, four years ago? Still, when I think about it, I'm just struck with wonder. Like it was warm. People came back and they say, Oh, it's like a bath and you'd always think, Yeah, right, like a bath. It's not like any bath I ever had. Baths I have are warm. <laughs> But that water was like a bath. You just walk into it and is no shock whatsoever to just get right in that water. Mm. And to complete the poll, I'm a fast guy. Uh, my, I have years and years of Kootenai Lake experience. And by far, the only way to deal with it is to just go. When you do that slow business, I've chickened out before doing that slow business. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get all the way out there above my waist. And just give up and go back yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think, is it upper thighs is when it starts to get incredibly frigid? Like your calves have some kind of yeah, protection, right? Yeah, they're not they're, bad. that's right. Your body seems to be able to shut down nerve endings from the knees down. But after that, it's like full alert. Do you have a dock out there to dive off? No, no. We had one years ago, but we sold our, our yeah. family property. Now this is my brother's place and he has no dock. But does Christina have some kind of claim to fame as the warmest lake in BC or something? Yes. Warmest yeah. tree-lined lake. Okay. So it doesn't compete with uh, Skaha and Okanagan. Oh, I see. I see. I never, heard, I, I never heard the extra adjective Me either. In. I'm just thinking about some chamber of commerce somewhere <laughs> racking their brains. God, it's not as warm as Skaha. Damn it. <laughs> if you put enough adjectives on it, exactly. the Great Bear Lake's the warmest something, right? The warmest <laughs> lake in Canada that only has two creeks into and out of it. The warmest <laughs> lake in the Arctic Circle. <laughs> the warmest the warmest lake in the western Kootenai boundary area. <laughs> oh, and it's a big weekend up at Christina. My family weekend up there, and here I am podcasting. Oh, well, here we are. All of us would rather be at the beach. Soaking up rays, you know, Nay. talking to chicks. We'd Nay. way rather be doing that. Got my Hanauma Bay Hawaii Hanauma shirt on. Yeah, in go. fact, actually, there's probably municipalities in this province that have enacted bylaws preventing people just like us from disrobing at the beach, my guess would be. <laughs> I drove a few kids right off the dock next door when I went swimming at Kootenai Lake. They took one look and decided it would be better to be listening to Metropolitan <laughs> Opera on CBC right. than be at the beach. Yeah, it's like a nudist beach, asterisk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, well, but we are here. And you know what? I will say that, too. I drove back down into town on Friday, and I came into the Fraser Valley at about four thirty-five o'clock, and whoa, Daddy, am I ever glad... I was going west into Vancouver and not east out of it. Wowie. Yeah, what time did you say it was? About 5 o'clock at Chilliwack. <laughs> PM? Was, yeah. Yeah, we saw that. We've seen the same thing every single time we come in. Wow. It's just... <laughs> like just, stopped at Chilliwack going out? 
Yeah, Chilliwack all the way back through Abbotsford, all the way back to pretty much the Port Man. Well, of course, Friday of a long weekend, too. Just incredible. Whoa. So glad I was not going that direction. And even on regular work days, large swaths of the Highway 1 are just backed up. So I wondered about that as I was coming, if that was sort of normal for... That's what my standard comment to Sue is she's used to hearing this. You know, I like to repeat myself on road trips anyway. (laughs) It's like, boy, would I hate to be... Having to have that on my daily commute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another one is that a boy. We used to go past what's the, celebrate. Yeah. What's the, what's the big lake, uh, in Washington state on I five just Watcom. Yeah. Every time we go past that lake, it's like a lot of Canadians own land down here. <laughs> like, like the sixth or seventh time. I, I'm not aware that I've said it before. And so he goes, yeah, yeah, you do say that every time. And now of course, I say it every time. Yeah, it's just part the, of the ritual. That's the trigger now. Yeah. Sure. Same thing when movies, I always say, oh, I hope there's previews. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody ever on earth has gone to a movie without previews. Well, you know, think. once uh, in the old days, maybe they were optional. I don't know why, but uh, once I get called out, then that's yeah. it. I'm going to say it then for the rest in. of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I do that on the this side of Caramius. There's a ranch there. The guy used to sell hubcaps. Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you remember that place? Totally. So I think about uh, that. I, there was an article about that girl put herself through uh, college on those hubcaps. What was that right? In uh, one of those weekend magazines, but you go, sorry. Well, so I stopped there because I was looking for hubcaps for the truck way back. I remember this. And I would stop there. There's also a place in West Kelowna that I would stop at, but I remember stopping there and the guy actually had uh, a miniature pig pet, a little... Oh, one, one of those, those Vietnamese pigs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which I thought was rather unique. But I think the next time, and this is when the kids were really little, and the next time he was shut down. And so after that, every time we drive by, I'd say, oh, here comes the former home of the Hubcap King. <laughs> In Snowing on Salt Spring, Cavendish referred to the Hubcap King or something. I don't know. I so every time we drive by, every trip, I would say, and especially <laughs> if there is some new friend in the car. So coming up on your right here. <laughs> well, I think about and they it. they roll their eyes. I right? think about it every time. I've told all my kids about that. Every, they don't want to hear it anymore. I don't blame them. But yeah, as some, some girl, the daughter of the people, and she's that daughter, probably like 45 or 50 now. Yeah, yeah. But she put herself through college just collecting and selling hubcaps because there's a little twisty stretch just through there, just on the, uh, just east of Headley, and people would lose hubcaps. And you know, you think about it, you think, oh, that's so quaint. Nah, driving through Karameas, there's somebody had left a little cardboard box with about six or seven hubcaps off, you know, contemporary automobiles. People still lose them. They still come off somehow. Right, right. Uh, And... They just weren't bothering to sell them. They were just there if you want to grab them. Free. So I guess it was farmland and they couldn't get it zoned as commercial or something, right? Because they, I thought you said they shut them down. No, 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 no. Oh, the farm oh. is still there. Just not it, the hubcap they, it enterprise. Shut, yeah, the, the hubcap joint. Just wasn't making money I think, anymore. I thought that I heard that he moved. He might have. Because he would have been the guy who owned it would be really old at this point. Yeah. Like when you bought those hubcaps, that was probably 30 years ago. And the guy's daughter was, because that's, that's all of this is from a long, long time. Yeah, she would have been, yeah. 
uh, teenager. So, or so he probably sold to somebody else, and yeah, and I just don't think hubcaps in general are worth what they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention the fact that lots and lots of cars just don't come with hubcaps anymore. They just have nice mag wheels. Just don't do it. Wheel covers are almost quaint. Not the losing of them, just the having of them. Well, I'm going to try and get some steel wheels for the old uh, Camry Hybrid, which came with the uh, alloy wheels. But I need to buy some winter tires, and I always like to buy extra wheels to go with the tires so I oh. can change them myself, even though I'm getting a little tired of doing that. It's pricey, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, f- I saw some good, pretty good price for the steel wheels. So in the States, they sell the exact same car with steel wheels. Something about the Canadian can- uh, Toyota guys, well, we're different. No, we're not going to use the steel wheels. We're going to use the uh, alloys, even on the lower end oh. Camry hybrids. So. Do you want my cynical theory? Sure. Yes. My cynical theory is that in the States, people don't buy extra tires and therefore rims because they don't need them. They don't buy winter tires that much in the States. Less, yeah, much less so, yeah. Here in Canada, if you want to have tires on rims, you got to buy rims. Who sells them? How much money do they make on those rims? Right, right. Well, it could be it. Could huh? be it. Huh? That's your, you're being suspiciously accepting of yet another wild hair theory. Uh, there. I, I don't know what, I think it's plausible is what I'm saying. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's about it for, uh, for episode 62. I'm <laughs> Is it really? Well, it is in fact pretty close to the end of episode 62. So I think probably on that happy note, we should say a bit of fond adieu to listeners who are hopefully on floaties with waterproof devices listening to us. People who are sharing our little time, which I think is really fun to think about where they are when they're sharing it. But take care of yourselves out there. I hope this isn't too abrupt and shocking that we've just segued into farewell, but we'll be back. Don't worry. I don't know. I, I think given our timing of things, some of our listeners might be looking at the colorful changing of the leaves right now. <laughs> That's true. They might. They might. But as we speak, the whole temporal distortion thing in this deal is hard to hard to do. I was thinking about that driving over here. How many people have figured out exactly what our production schedule looks like because of the few temporal references? Well, if any of you do figure it out, please let us know. Yeah, yeah. Because we haven't. <laughs> Um, anyways, take care of yourselves. Get a hold of us at sheddogs.ca and all those other venues by which you may. Really appreciate the texts and messages that you do send, so keep them coming. And meantime, take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.